0: Hello, this is Nathan Ray, and this is... Philip. Philip who?
1: Oh, Natarak, forgot my last name, oh my gosh. (laughs)
0: Yes! (laughs) Philip and I, we both know each other, right? Yeah, man. We go way back. And normally, this would be the part of the show where we explain all the nice backstory about how we know each other, but we've already covered that way back in Episode 7, Heresy, so... If any of you guys want to find out about how we both know each other, then I very much recommend going back and taking a listen to that episode. If you're coming in blind and you don't know who this guy is, just keep listening. I'm sure you'll like him a lot. Hopefully, Lord willing. <laughs> So since we've last spoken with each other, you and I were talking a bit about what's been going on in your life since we last had our proper call. A lot has been going on for you. Is there anything within the past week that God has been doing in your life to really show his love to you?
1: So uh, to tell you a tiny little bit of backstory. I actually spent like seven months sitting around doing nothing, no job, just waiting for God to give me a job because I felt like I was constrained to just sit there. And this past week, or maybe past two weeks, it's, it's so good that I'll, I'll shove it into this week. I recently talked to my pastor about me wanting to have a job. I, I need payments, student loans are here. I got $30,000 on my neck. And lo and behold, it just so happens that right after I send him that message, maybe a day or that same day, he gets a text, And things are now moving towards where it actually looks like I will be working as a youth pastor and working with an organization called Young Life, like possibly, but it really seems like it's going through. So it seems like a miracle just dropped. Like I was hanging out to dry, but God didn't let me dry too much and shrivel up. He brought it close. Legit, my faith was kind of like, oh my God, did I literally just waste seven months doing nothing? (laughs) But it seems like no, God worked That that is his love to me. He provides
0: Yeah, like, you can just sit there, do nothing, and God will come in and still
1: help you. Exactly. Like, it was such a push for him to tell me to wait. It was that was an act of faith because seven months to do nothing like that's, that's like a year. Are
0: you glad that you don't really have a useless degree now. Yes.
1: Yes. So glad, man, I was edgy, man, kind of emo, just be like, what's the point? But now it seems like it worked. Yeah. God's a God of redemption. How about you for this past week? So
0: over this past week, last episode, I was talking with my friend Mark Wong about uh, sex addiction. And it's interesting because in the aftermath of recording that episode, that very same night, I was busy working on a screenplay that I've been trying to finish up for the last couple of weeks. And I was hitting a major roadblock in figuring out where the story was supposed to go. And frustration turned to boredom. Boredom turned to browsing through social media, which turned to browsing through porn on DeviantArt and blew like four hours of my life. Just looking at probably some of the most graphic pictures that I've personally witnessed. It's not good. It's not healthy. And I think I was like, on the verge of just completely giving in and just going like full on masturbation. But the way that God was able to deliver me from that was, first of all, my internet cut out for like 10 minutes. And that wasn't really enough to stop me from looking at the pictures. But it sort of gave me the indication that, Nathan, you need to go to bed, you need to stop what you're doing right now, and you just need to turn away from it. And of course, that's what your conscience tells you. That's what your mind tells you. But that's not what the really stupid part of you wants. And so I continued to stay there and look at the pictures until my internet came back on. But then a while later, at like four in the morning, my roommate Nahum, he came downstairs to get like this early morning, late night snack from the kitchen. My office is situated in the dining room. So... We're right next to each other. And he didn't really catch me, but I, I sort of just like, I had this awareness of the presence of someone else in the room. And I realized, first of all, I don't want to be looking at this stuff while other people might catch me. But secondly, while this other person is here and while I am literally on the verge of just saying, screw it and giving in, I need to go to him. I need to talk to him about what I'm going through. And I'm, I need someone to tell me to stop. And I think that's an opportunity that God gave to me in order to make sure that I wasn't going to go fully into sin. I still sinned. Yeah, true. I still did the wrong thing, but I didn't go all the way. Yeah. It's sort of like the difference between strangling someone and killing them, if you know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. And since then, like I'm still struggling with lust and desire. Some days I'm, I'm not fearing anything. Other days, it's just like, it's really strong. But I do think that I have a better system of accountability right now than I have had in the past. And while that accountability isn't always guaranteed to happen, sometimes it can still happen in the most unexpected ways.
1: Yeah, praise God. Just hearing it, it makes me think of First Corinthians 10, 13. It's something like all temptation is common to man or something. And God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Like he'll always make a way out. So God literally, it's like he put the way out right in front of you, gave you that, that escape. Yeah.
0: yeah. Two escape routes.
1: Yeah. So amen. Amen. And I'm just going to pray a quick prayer. God, may you bless Nathan. Give him all the freedom that he needs. And for anyone else who's listening, Lord, free them from that bondage in, in Jesus name, just as you freed me. Amen. Kind of on that note, I really mean it, that God healed me. Because it was just in my room, I was laying down. And I was just like, God, if you are gonna make me a pastor or something, this part of my life needs to end, I need, I can't have this. And I was like commanding healing for my brain neurologically and stuff. And it actually felt like a presence was going maybe up my back to my head. And like something was happening, like there was this breeze around my head. And then from that day forward, I was still stupid and fell into masturbation and fantasizing thankfully i was pretty much not ever hooked on porn like like addicted it's kind of easy to break it off for me though there's better and worse days but ever since that day the battle was always easier and so i'm like five four months approaching five months clean not ever masturbating like glory to god like freedom can happen it is there like i keep going keep pushing forward
0: So let's transition to the topic that I wanted to talk about today. You have been very forward in the past about how you're, by definition, a heretic. You don't subscribe to all the beliefs of one particular denomination, whether it's Catholicism or Pentecostalism or any other denomination that's out there. You're kind of your own thing. And in some ways, it's not necessarily that other people view yourself as a heretic, but it's that you yourself view yourself at times as a heretic.
1: Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm, you could say I'm toned down now, but I'd still say you have to be willing to be a heretic when it comes to standing up for what's right. And so I guess what I mean is at the time I was on my whole, is fornication a sin or not? And for, in my stupid mind at that time, I was like, well, it really looks like it's not a sin. But it was coming from a genuine place. Like I thought it was right. And that, of course that's heretical. And I, I know I'm going to be viewed as heretical, but I'm like, but it, it seems right. The, the arguments that I'm hearing aren't persuading me. So I guess I'm, I'm a heretic, but I, if I am one, it's for a noble cause. At least I, I really believe what I'm saying is true. I, I don't see how I'm wrong. The noble yeah. cause of wanting to go
0: ahead and fornicate with random women
1: Nope, 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 nope. (laughs) Or just to be like, if we were to call it a sin, that would be wrong. So don't call it a sin. Not that Yeah, I wasn't coming from the place of I want to sleep with that person over there. So I'm going to change the Bible so I can live out my desires. It wasn't like that. It was more like I feel forced to be a heretic. So now I'm toned down. I actually took the podcast down, took my blog down because I was just like previous Philip was more Lone Ranger, guns blazing. I'm on my own. And I'm gonna say what I want. Now I'm more like, there's wisdom in not saying everything on your heart. There's wisdom in having patience with people and yourself. And now that I realize I'm wrong, I'm like, I wanna be under a church, like to be held accountable. But I'm still willing to be a heretic. So, like, I'm actually preaching a sermon this Sunday on the Reformation. So, we wanna talk heretics. Martin Luther was willing to be called a heretic by the Pope and the entire church, but he stood up for what was right. So, in a sense, every Christian should be a noble, in quotes, heretic, not because you are one, but because people will see you as one. So in the church, if the church wants to adopt any kind of heresy or anything, you have to call it out, but you will be called a heretic probably. And then in the culture, if we say like abortion is pretty much murder, you you should never want to kill a baby out of convenience. And you'd probably be labeled as a misogynist, hateful person. And in a sense, a heretic, but you got to be willing to be called one. So what are your current heresies that you still hold on to? Uh, my current quote-unquote heresies, um, I'd still say modern apostles could be a thing. Not that they are, not that I see anyone as one, but I'm like, when I look at Ephesians 4, uh, it seems like apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are all here for today, for the equipping of the saints and the maturing of the body, so, that, so they will do their service, their ministry. I don't see how we can isolate and the apostles from everything else and say, everything else is here for today, but apostles are not. I don't see that limitation coming down in the scriptures. So I'm like, if a modern day Paul were to rise up, okay, he will prove himself. God will prove it. He'll be able to be verified just as the early church was sketchy about Paul and hesitant to accept him. Eventually God won them over. So I'm like, if modern apostle was to do that, arise rise. God would do the same thing. And then which leads kind of into the second thing, my second quote unquote heresy. I believe the Bible is open. It's sufficient for today. We have what we need. But if God wanted to add more, he could. Because Revelation scripture increased over time. It wasn't just one set book. But at each point in time, you had enough Revelation for that time. So I'm like, if God wanted to add more, he could. But if not, then that's okay. I just feel like the door's open.
0: So would the Book of Mormon count as
1: scripture then? No. No. If anything's gonna be added, it's gotta be consistent with what came before. No. Nope. Mormonism, Joseph Smith, the false, false heretical would not go there. Truly heretical. I would I would condemn that thing. Nope. Joseph Smith was not a noble heretic. No, nope. there's only one God. And in Mormonism, you have multiple gods and you can become a god yourself. Like that that's idolatry to want to be worshipped. So nope. Got to be consistent. So at the same time, while I leave the door open, I'd also be like an inquisitor, if you want to say that. I don't know. Like, I would be like a harsh security guard before I let anything in. I, I want to know the person, want to know the doctrine and compare it to previous doctrine. And if I see anything wrong there, it's rejected. So you want to be like the Council of Nicaea? Yeah, though I don't think the Council of Nicaea was the one who determined the canon. Even though I think that's a common thing, it's, it came a little later. Like there was that letter by Athanasius. He, he, I think he made a letter, his Paschal letter or whatever, which matches our canon today. And then I'm guessing it was Chalcedon. That was actually the one who affirmed what the canon was. I don't know. I forget. I'm so bad. Church history, people are going to like slap me mentally.
0: Would there be any books written in the last 400 years that you could
1: see being added as scripture? Nope, not that I've encountered. At the same time, I would totally say in like charismatics, Pentecostals, even people who can't even who don't even know those terms, we can say that God has spoken and he still speaks in private prophecy, yeah, prophetic words that God gives, even like a well-timed sermon, even providential, like cessationists who would say they still felt led to do a certain thing. God still moves, he still speaks, but not everything must be written down. In first Corinthians. Paul talks, he wants the Corinthians to prophesy, but nowhere is he saying, write it down now and add it to scripture. So if something's going to be scripture, it would be massive. Like the church would realize it. I'd imagine, I'm speculating, but I'd imagine that the church as a whole would eventually hear the voice of God in, in newer scripture. And then be like, no, something's different. It's testifying to itself. Just as like when we read the Bible, we know it's not like any other book. It really stands alone. And we could have the best sermon laying right beside it, but we're like, that's just a sermon. It, God can use it. He can speak through it, but it's not, doesn't have that scripture quality. So if newer scripture were to come, it would have that twinkle. It'd have that radiance. And it would unify the church
0: in a manner yeah. that hasn't been seen since the Reformation.
1: Yeah, it would bring massive unity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd hope it would break walls. But even then, With our canon that we have today, it took a while for some books to get accepted. And there were other books, maybe the Shepherd of Hermas or the Didache that some people still held on to. So I'm a safe heretic now. I'm not as edgy. I'm a heretic who loves the church. And because we love the church, we have to be willing to be called heretics sometimes when the church just isn't seeing things accurately.
0: Part of the reason why I wanted to focus on this topic. I was thinking back to a comment you had, a a private comment you had made earlier to me in response to episode nine, LGBT Christianity, where you were sort of questioning my friendship with the guest of that particular episode, Gary Simpson. And I'm not gonna go into all of the details, but I think recording that podcast It gave me the indication, a much bolder indication that what he was saying, he was saying that he was a Christian, but a lot of what he was saying did not line up with scripture. Mm -hmm. And in the time since recording that episode, I've done a lot of research on some of the concepts that we talked about. There were certain things that we talked about, like he mentioned that Jesus was willing to heal a servant of a Roman centurion because the servant and the Roman centurion were lovers when in the Greek version the term can either be used to refer to a son a servant or a lover and that same term is used to refer to Jesus as the son of God
1: okay like who is or something
0: yeah and so like if you were to use that same logic to say that Jesus was the homosexual lover of God, the father that becomes just a little bit messed up. And so there's a part of me that feels like Gary lied to me in the middle of that conversation. But at the same time, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I want to believe that he made all of his arguments in good faith because like it or not, he is one of the few friends in my life who's always been there for me. And He's like the sexually deviant grandfather that I never had. (laughs) Okay.
1: It just Um, sounds so weird to hear,
0: but... I know, know, I know. (laughs)
1: It's
0: (laughs) It's weirdly wholesome. And so, like, whenever I hang out with him, like, I usually enjoy whatever we end up doing, just sitting around and having lunch, but usually at the end of our conversations, I'm usually a little bit heartbroken because just a lot of what he says is just... It's claiming intellectual superiority without necessarily showing spiritual maturity, I'd say. Yeah. And this isn't even going into other things that he believes, like he's a universalist. But there's a part of me that still believes that his faith is genuine. I want to believe that there's still a place for him in ministry and in the church that he serves, that God is still using him for good even if I don't believe that it's going to turn out at all well for him. And so part of what I want to talk to you about is like, do you think that people like Gary, whether they're promoting actual heresy or they're like on the fringe of that, do you think that they have a place in the church? Or do you
1: think that they should just be cast out? Hmm. I guess we could answer it. I'll put myself in the heretical boots. <laughs> if I was to look at myself, When I was talking about fornication not being a sin. Yeah, I guess I'll play both hats. I know when I was saying those things, I really believed I was saying what was right. Like I felt forced to. I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to be known as the guy who was saying that. But I felt like what I was saying was true. And I would say I was still a believer, still a son of God, still loved by him. Just really wrong. So like when you said intellectual superiority, but not enough spiritual maturity or showing spiritual immaturity. That was me. That was totally me. So if I was to pastor myself and address previous Philip, I would have been like, we got to have a lot of grace for the church and grace for people. And just because you are a heretic, just because you are sounding and talking like one, or you're living in a heretical way, that doesn't mean you've lost your salvation necessarily, because we have church discipline protocol to go through. Matthew 18, 15 to 17, you go to your brother privately one-on-one. If he doesn't listen to you, bring another or two or three. You got to be two or three with you and confront that brother. And if the brother still doesn't listen to you, bring him before the church. So in all of those stages, the person is still considered a brother, but we love him enough to confront it and to tell him you, you need to repent. And it's coming from a place of wanting to bring that person close and wanting to reconcile. But if the person doesn't listen, Jesus says, then let that person be to you as a tax collector and a Gentile or a tax collector and a sinner. And it's out of love. So even though we, as the church, we might say in our human perspective that the person must be moved out, not like instant cut off, but over time it progresses and the person's not listening. Eventually out of love, we do have to separate in a sense, but it's always with the hard one to bring them back. And first Corinthians five is a super clear example. This dude was sleeping with his father's wife and Paul skipped Matthew 18. He went right to the point, like you guys should have mourned over the sin, but you are proud of it. I think that's what he says. You got to judge those within the church. And he's like, what business do we have judging those outside? We have to judge those within and remove the wicked man from among you. That's, That's what he says. So with Gary, it seems he's heard the arguments more often than not. He's built up his case. He thinks he's right. And I'd, I'd be willing to treat him as a brother, but we got to hold brothers to a standard. And if someone wants to say what he's saying, I wouldn't say there's a place for ministry. He's lost that. Like, even though he may still be used, I would never want to pastor with him. I would never want to be associated in ministry as if we're on good terms, like he sin infects. So first Corinthians five, Paul says like a little leaven leavens, the whole lump He is influenced while there may be some good, just like me with preaching that fornication is not a sin. There's still a lot of good that I can do, but at that point I'm in error in such a way that I'm resilient to correction. And I wasn't seeing things rightly. And for the sake of myself and the people around me, I need to be cut off in the sense, not that you never talk, but it's kind of like in Second Thessalonians 3, where Paul says, for those among you who are lazy and you can work, but you don't, and you act like busybodies, don't let that person even eat. Like, they got to go out and get a job and work. And don't treat them as an enemy, but admonish them as a brother. So there is a distancing. Is Gary saved? I don't know his heart. I, I'd like to believe he is. Even in 1 Corinthians 11, the Corinthians were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were misusing it. And the Lord was killing them and making some of them sick but he was doing it to save them from being condemned with the rest of the world so gary could be in that place a true brother but really messing up and god takes it super seriously and our hearts should be broken your heart should always be broken that he's in that place like we don't know but god could he still could be saved could be a brother but the relationship has changed if a brother wants to go headlong into sin and defend it or just defend sin and he's not himself doing it we got to keep a standard of holiness. That is like long-winded answer, but I hope that helps. I think so. Do you think for yourself that if you had
0: held to the position that fornication was not a sin and you were like, screw the rebukers, I'm going to hold on to this. This is the hill that I'm going to die on. Do you think that in turn, the quality of your ministry would eventually decline?
1: I hope it would. I think I would get followers anyway. Someone's always willing to follow, it seems. But I'd hope that God would crush my ministry and it's not worth it. If I was to see myself do that, I would pray against it. Yeah, because that's just wickedness. It's opening the door. It, It will contaminate. Do you think there's the potential for any
0: kind of good to come out of that kind of situation? And if so, are there like any situations that you could recall and say, you know what, even though this guy was totally preaching the wrong thing, still brought about some good in the
1: end. Yeah. In First Corinthians 11, verse 18, Paul's like, he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. So Paul's like, he doesn't like that divisions are happening. But in a sense, if I understand him right, he's saying it's good because it really shows who's obeying God and who's not. If I was to hold on to fornication not being a sin, that scenario forces the church to be like, okay, that's what it looks like to not obey God. And us who are disagreeing with Philip, like the line is really clear in the sand. We're really seeing the sheep who are obedient, and the sheep who are not. It brings clarity in a sense. As much as confusion, it shows the church who she is and who really is following God. It educates the church. It forces the church to be like, okay, this dude's saying fornication is not a sin what is our scriptural response? Because we can't just give us a, a slap on, well, it always was. We always just believed it was. I'm like, no, you, you need a deeper argument than that. So in a sense, heresy forces the church to grow up and be and think about the faith and explain why it is heresy and to give a defense. Like First Peter 3.15, Peter says, sanctify the Lord, maybe the Lord Jesus Christ in your hearts and always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is within you. So I'm like, if I'm going to condemn something as heresy and if a heretic comes up, I want to be able to defend and heretics might be raised up by God for that very purpose to expose the church and how weak she is and how unprepared she is because that's what I honestly felt when I was out when I came out with my own heresy it felt like a lot of christians were not prepared for what i had to say and coming out of it now i'm so much more prepared to deal with someone who would bring up the same issues that i did i'm better off now in a sense you know. so our cessationist heretics No, I'd say the the vast majority are not, but I worry because if they see something that the Holy Spirit is really doing, like let's say someone starts speaking in tongues and then an interpreter claims, like a real interpretation happens. If the cessationist says that's demonic, that can't happen today because the scripture says it can't. Oh, you're going against what God is doing. It makes me worried. (laughs) I hope cessationists aren't blaspheming the spirit when they look at real spiritual things that God is doing. And they're saying, that can't happen today because I have this cessationist lens over my eyes. It doesn't register. I'm like, be careful. You are going against God. I kind of see that as blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I worry.
0: That would be weird because like, you have all these people who know so much about scripture and doctrine, but when it comes to whether or not they're going to see a miracle happen, whether it's healing or prophecy or speaking in tongues. I don't know. It, it would be really sad to have all this knowledge on hand and say that some of it is just stupid and miss out on the full bigger picture. Exactly.
1: And that's where I feel that we, we need the cessationists and the charismatic Pentecostals, whatever, to come together because I feel like they complete each other. In my short-lived experience, the cessationists, are really solid in the word like they're just solid people generally but they don't have the gifts of the spirit and for those who are with the spirit they tend to be weak theologically their biblical literacy is not that good they're not as polished in their in how they organize their theological thoughts
0: and they have a tendency to say stupid things
1: yeah even outright saying theology just the phrase theology is not important or like what's the point it's like oh my god when you just say god is love boom theology So they need each other. We need the word and the spirit together. So actually on that point, I'm thankful that I came out from like a Baptist heritage in a sense, because I was built on the word. I had that foundation to hold the gifts in a more mature way. Absolutely not saying I'm perfect, though. Definitely Mm -hmm. not. But it's nice to have that solid foundation of the word first and then the gifts on top.
0: A while back, I got a copy of a book called Access Granted by Steve Olmstrom, and it talks about how the kingdom of God is different from the kingdom of heaven. And so for the kingdom of God, that's the presence of God that's present right here, right now, here on earth. It can be experienced by anyone, but very few are going to go ahead and pursue it. So, you know, the parable of the pearl in the field where you have this guy who comes across this pearl in a field and he wants the pearl for himself. He knows that it's extremely valuable, but he can't take the pearl because it's not on his property. And so instead of just going ahead and stealing the pearl and having to face legal trouble, what he instead does is to go ahead and sell off everything that he has in order to pay for the field and then get the pearl back so that he can sell the pearl, get all of his money back and get everything that he had sold off and even more because he's now much more wealthy beyond his dreams. And so I think with heretics, maybe they would enter the kingdom of heaven. Maybe. I hope so. I hope that God in his love and mercy, that he'd be able to overlook any of their sin or wrongthink, and just say, you know what? I love you enough. You accepted what I did with Jesus in sending him down to die on the cross and get resurrected. And you pursued a relationship with me to the best of your ability. You're going in. For those people, I hope they end up going in heaven. But I don't see those people actually experiencing the presence of God here on earth.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's a, ugh. like, we know the, the narrow gate and the wide way. There are only few that find eternal life. And we know 1 Corinthians 6, do not be deceived, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Idolaters, adulterers, the sexually immoral, those men who sleep with men, it's all there, swindlers, liars, blah, blah, blah. They won't. But at the same time, Christians, like tr- people who have been truly born again, can be in those exact sins and die in a state of rebellion but they're still born again, God will save them in spite of it. I hope for the listeners, we're definitely not saying universalism. Yes, definitely not. We totally believe in hell and people will go there. Makes me think of this one friend that I'm just worried about. I believe he's saved. Yeah, Christians can be messy, absolutely messy. Charismatic, whatever you call yourself, Baptist. You can be a proud, arrogant person, not even realize it. You could be a gluttonous person, not even realize it. But God's still faithful to you. You've still actually been born again. And as a Calvinist, I don't believe you can ever lose your salvation. I don't think so. That's not to say a license to sin, though. Just want to say that. (laughs) Don't want to say. If you're truly elect and chosen by God, it will prove itself in the fruit of your life and obedience. I don't believe once saved, always saved. I prayed the prayer. Now I can sleep with whoever I want and go to heaven. No. So
0: then should we still worry about heresy or should we just say, you know what, God, you are the judge of every individual here on earth, whoever goes to heaven, goes to heaven, regardless of how quote unquote right they were. Is God's Um, love enough to triumph our ignorance and or rebellion?
1: Should we still care about heresy? I'd still say absolutely. In Galatians, basically the whole letter of Galatians, Paul Galatians 1, 6 through 9, he he pretty much says, I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you to another gospel and not even another, it's a false gospel or something like that. And he's like, if even we or an angel from heaven were to preach to you a a gospel that you didn't previously receive, like this is a different thing. He is to be anathema. Whoever says that, anathema, like, like God's curse is upon you. You are separated from Christ. You have no part in him. No share with him. So, Paul wrote that letter just telling the Galatians, You guys are mixing works and grace to save you. It's by grace and faith alone that you're saved. And Paul was willing to divide it. He told them, You who want to be justified by the law, and not justified by faith, but justified by law, you've been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. So, there are things we must divide upon. And if a brother wants to start crossing those lines, we got to be like, out of love for you, you're wrong. And if you won't listen, we have to separate. And that person could still be saved in spite, but at the same time, they're bearing fruit that we could be fair to say proves they might not even have been saved in the first place. So like First John 2, 19, it says, if they were of us, they would have remained with us, but they left us to show that they were never really of us. And like Jesus in Matthew 7 says it, to the people on that day of judgment, they're going to say, Lord, Lord. Did we not cast out demons in your name and do miracles or whatever? So Judas did miracles, but Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like, I never knew you, even though on the outside, it looked like they did. They did miracles. I think like Judas at least did it, but Christ never knew him. He never knew Christ.
0: Never really believed in him.
1: Yeah. It's like he saw all that power. It was under all that teaching, but his heart wasn't God's. It it wasn't surrendered to God. But at the same time, we probably shouldn't go ahead and kill off all the heretics. And Yes, yeah, Lord willing. No, no, we're not supposed to kill heretics today. Burn them no. at the stake. Nope, no, 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 Try to drown them. Like what happens oh. in the Middle Ages and the Tudor area? Torture stuff. Guilty till proven innocent. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. But God will do all the judgment. He will make everything clear. He knows every man's heart. God will judge. And lots of people will be in hell. That's Jesus' own words. The way is broad, the way is wide that leads to destruction, and many will find it. But the way is narrow, the way is straight, that leads to eternal life, and few will find it. So, Jesus' own words. Going forward, how
0: do you see the church dealing with heresy that's presently
1: here? Jesus promises he will build his church. The gates of Hades will not prevail, Matthew 16. And yet, Jesus threatened churches pretty much to destroy them. Like he is present in Revelation 2 and 3. He, like to the church at Ephesus, he's like, you've left your first love, so repent or I'm coming to take away your candlestick, I think, I will take you out. So there will be some churches when they face heresy, like just like today, that will stand strong. They will be mature and they will bear the cost of fighting it, whether the heresy is within or outside of the church. But there will be other churches who will compromise. They will water themselves down And there will be a blending of righteousness and wickedness together. And there will be an unequal yoking together. So it's going to be a mixed thing. But just as I said that, like before, my own heresy could strengthen the church and sharpen her identity. It's really clear. If people are going on with the whole abortion, gay rights thing, and just saying God is love or there's no God at all, the churches that go with that, they're kind of being, they're proving themselves that they're not really with God as much as they claim they are. And the churches that stand against it in love show themselves to be approved. It's messy, but heresy is good. It keeps you spiritually fit in a way. And what's interesting is that the churches that are in alignment with
0: the world, those churches are dying. Like, there you go. It's like those churches decided to sign up to popular opinion because they thought that their membership would increase or they'd be able to reach more lost souls, but I can imagine that happening. I can imagine that happening. It's just that the numbers don't really reflect that.
1: That's pretty cool. Like, I mean, interesting to hear. It sounds like Jesus is doing what he kind of said he would do in Revelation 2 and 3. If churches won't listen, he will take them out. And if churches are compromising, the Holy Spirit's not really there. Like, the obedience is not really there. And you're attracting people who aren't surrendered to God. So the whole concept of church is you're committed to each other as the body of Christ. And they don't have that. Their understanding of the body is so skewed.
0: Anything else? I think that's everything that's on my mind at the moment. Any other remarks, any questions that you'd want to ask me?
1: How is your heart in singleness? Are you happy? That's an interesting question to ask. Um, (laughs) Yes and no. Yeah.
0: I think that for a lot of people in this world, in this culture, The idea of singleness, it's not highly valued. It's like you have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend in order to be happy in life. And that's not an attitude that I can subscribe to. Because if I did subscribe to that, I'd be massively unhappy. Yep, I'd be depressed out of my mind. And I have subscribed to that worldview. And it's just led to a lot of personal misery in my life. And so I've come to the realization that I believe that God has prepared a woman for me to be part of my life. But I also have to be fine with the idea of never ending up with her. And I have to be fine with the idea that I could not be married for the rest of my life. It would go against many prophecies that have been spoken over me, Mm -hmm. including yours. Yeah. (laughs) But... Even though it's something that I want, it's something that I am content with not having. It's like video game consoles, except <laughs> you're not going to want to go out and be passionate with a PS5.
1: Yeah, no, that's just weird. That would be weird. Yeah. How did you come to that place where you were, that, that place of contentment? Because I, I pretty much went through the same thing this year or like maybe last month. Yeah, how, how did you come to that place? But also I want to say, I hope my prophecy was true. I definitely don't say the Lord says. I'm not even sure. I just want you to know that. Like For me, if I followed every prophecy that I had, I'd be married to multiple different women. I'd be a polygamist. I'm accurate, but not all the time.
0: Okay. I would say the prophecy that you gave me was fairly accurate enough. Okay. And I'm, I'm hoping it comes true as well. It might not, but I still have hope. So how did I come to that place? I think it was the idea that, so you know this, my listeners should know this from, I think, episode 23 or something like that. There was this girl who I felt like God had called to be my wife, and I'd been trying to convince certain friends of mine that this was going to happen so that I could have the opportunity to hang out with them again and therefore hang out with her again. And one of these friends, he's a young adult pastor. He told me, hey, Nathan, if you want this to be the case, then let's put this to the test. I'm going to gather these other spiritually in tune people that I know, church leaders, and we're going to come together, and we're going to pray together, and we're going to seek the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord comes back as, no, you have got to stop doing this. Mm. And so that was supposed to happen before the pandemic hit, kept getting delayed until after March. And by that point, meeting up in person was no longer an option. And I, I kept pushing for it. I kept pushing for it until one day my friend just came back to me and said, Hey, Nathan, I talked with all the people who I would have invited into this prayer circle anyways. And all of them said no. All right. And so You're going to have to accept this. And like, I still don't know whether or not I should believe him or if he was just saying that just so that I could shut up. But in that moment, I had to make a choice of how I was going to react. And I thought to myself, you know what, this woman who I love, I don't really want to be with anyone else. I'm going to treat things as if these prophecies are going to come true regardless of what anyone else says. But even so, I'm also going to treat things as if they're never going to happen. I'm going to play both sides at the same time. (laughs)
1: I'm
0: going to treat it as if I'm never going to be with her, as if it's never going to work out. And if it does happen, because God wills it to happen, no other reason for that, then I was right. And if it doesn't happen, then I guess someone else better is going to come down the line. And hopefully God will make that clear. Did you take
1: like a week to emotionally process? I took six weeks. I took six six weeks. weeks. Yeah. and I cut
0: out social media for my life for the next six weeks. And I made it a point to cut out as many of my quote unquote friends as I could, who were a part of this debacle so that I just didn't have any hope left. I didn't have myself to rely on anymore. And I still don't know if I made the right decision because it's not like we had this big, great argument about whether or not I was right or wrong. And I was just like, screw it, I'm gonna push you away. It's, It's more just like, I can't let myself believe that this is going to happen as long as I have these people in my life Where I feel like they would provide some sort of avenue. Still don't know if I made the right decision, but it it is what it is.
1: Yeah, God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Like, it's really good that you're saying all of that, (laughs) like, that you're willing to be wrong. Like, that is super important. I pray that the Lord would really move in your life that if she's not the one, that He would make it super clear. Yeah, it's just you're in a good place, as unfulfilling as it might be in the singleness. It's a good place to be able to truly tell God, like, whatever it is, I'm okay. I'm not trying to force this to happen. That is a great place. You're not desperate. Oh, no. The desperation's still there. The oh, temptation's <laughs> still there. It's just okay.
0: like, I have to go out and restrain myself from giving in to that temptation. Okay. At the same time, just be like, I have to be okay. Yeah. It's like tying back to the whole sex addiction issue that we were talking about earlier in the episode where it's like, I still have these lustful thoughts and these fantasies towards women. Right. I just can't go ahead and act on them.
1: Yeah. Okay. For me, it was, I guess I realized I was a really desperate person, really lonely. Like, yeah, we believe that thing where you can't be happy in singleness. You have to have somebody. I eventually realized that so much of my happiness was being forced, trying to be found in somebody. And I'm like, no, God's got to be my highest delight. So like that Psalm, I think Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. I stopped focusing on that second part, focus on the first part. Really delight yourself in God. Like make that the ultimate goal. He's my highest joy. So even if I was to receive a wife, I'd give her back as an offering in a sense, or if I want the ministry and I receive it, I offer it back. There was this one girl, I forgot, she, maybe she's on the Gospel Coalition, but she pointed out Hannah's prayer and how Hannah was like, God, give me a son. And if you give me a son, I'll put him into the ministry. That he'll be a priest. I'm, I'm dedicating him to you, something like that. And this woman was just like, Hannah was willing to give back what she really wanted. And she was like, that's probably not many people are willing to do that like they're praying for stuff, but they're not at a place where they're willing to give it back to God. So it's a painful thing. It's hard <laughs> to choose to be single. But when you hit that place, when you, you can honestly say Jesus is enough, while you still want somebody, and you're willing to not have that person, and Jesus really is enough, it, it's a great place of maturity. And I just hope anybody who's listening, there is hope, there's real joy in Jesus, like we both feel it. But we're not saying Jesus is enough, so you shouldn't be sad. Jesus is enough, so you shouldn't be longing for a spouse. No, those are good desires. But in the midst of not having anything, you really realize God is enough. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're a heretic, even if you believe in the wrong
0: things, like I do genuinely believe that if you focus your attention on God and you're not distracted by, I don't know, whether or not you have a boyfriend or girlfriend or whether or not justice is being served in the rest of the world, Or all this other crap that can be important, but it's not God. It's not what you should be focusing your attention on. It's not your true north. Yeah. And I believe that once you find God as your true north, and you pursue him, and you submit to him, and you just follow him all the way, that should be enough to launch you out of any heresy that you might find yourself in.
1: Yeah, God will make a way. If you throw yourself in to bring in desperation, if you're like, God, if I'm wrong, let me know. I don't want to listen to myself or other people. I want you. I'm really yours. Yeah, God will answer that. Like Second Chronicles, what is it, 16, 9, maybe? It's like the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth, seeking somebody whose heart is completely his, or seeking to support the person whose heart is completely his. So it's like God's looking for people who are just willing to follow him, no matter the cost. And we're humble about it too, willing to be wrong. So I would say we're
0: probably running out of time right now. For sure. Uh, before we go, is there anything that you want to plug or promote? Especially now that your blog and your podcast has now gone up in flames. The links to those
1: are now completely dead. Yep. Oh wow, man, who would I plug? Uh, obviously guys keep watching the podcast. This one this is a good podcast plug in just plug in the bible <laughs> spend time with god as much as social media is there and it's good make an effort to spend time with god just as and if you're single and you want a spouse make sure you're affectionate towards god and really mean it really feel that intimacy it's super important
0: thank you for coming back on the show really glad that you could be back if there's anything else that i feel like you'd be a really good fit for i'd be happy to have you on again yeah i'm i'm down yeah whenever the time is right sure whenever airport. the time is right yeah. and you'll probably have more ministry stories to share yeah i can see it coming yeah, more yeah. heresies to promote maybe <laughs> done nobly anyways see you guys this has been because we're not the same a podcast hosted produced and edited by nathan raymond ray with special guest philip Naderach. To listen to more episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Verbal, or Podbean. You can also visit our Facebook page or our website, bwntscast.wordpress.com. If you're interested in coming on the show as a guest, feel free to reach out to us and we'll see about having you on. Thank you for listening.